Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to see everybody today. My name is Pastor Jay, and uh, welcome to Community Fellowship Baptist Church. We're so glad you're with us, either in person or live streaming uh, this morning. We have some people watching uh, at home on our YouTube channel and uh, Facebook page. And so thank you guys for joining us uh, this morning, and it's really good to see all of you in person. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a great week. If you're guests with us especially, thank you for being here uh, this morning. We pray today is a blessing to you. I pray it's already been a blessing uh, just being together with the Lord and his people. And uh, we're going to get in the Word of God here in just a few minutes. Uh, as you're, as you're kind of getting ready for the message, let me draw your attention to a couple of things. Number one, if you're in person in service today, uh, in your seat is a set of sermon notes. And so you can actually follow along in the message with that uh, if you want to. If you don't want to, you can flip it over. It's blank on the back and you can play tic-tac-toe with your neighbor. Don't do that. I'm just kidding about the tic-tac-toe part. Uh, If you are watching online uh, or streaming, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, Community Fellowship Baptist Church. There is a link uh, on our Facebook page to a digital version of the sermon notes. And so if you want to take advantage of that, uh, it will be on the YouVersion app, the YouVersion Bible app, and you can follow along uh, with that. How's everybody doing this morning? It's so good to see you guys, man. Seriously, I have been missing our corporate gatherings, and so I'm glad you're here, and it's good to see you and your family uh, together as well. And so, uh, you know, this, this weekend is Memorial Day uh, celebration. We celebrate Memorial Day. We celebrate those that have given their life uh, for our country and for our freedom. And, uh, and so uh, as we begin this morning, I want to just take a moment and pray uh, for our country and for the families of those that have, have literally uh, given the ultimate sacrifice, given their life um, to, to secure the freedom that we have in this country. And uh, I don't know about you, but I am thankful uh, of where we live, we could look, God could have allowed any of us to be born anywhere on this planet, and, and yet we have the privilege of being born in this country with, with certain freedoms, and so I'm thankful for that. And so let's begin this morning just praying uh, for those that have been affected, certainly personally, uh, with those that have given their life uh, for our great country. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning, God. We, we come to you humbly, and we just thank you for the privilege of gathering in this house freely today without persecution, without opposition. Uh, Lord, it's because of, of, of people that have literally fought uh, and, and died for our freedom in this great country. And Lord, we thank you uh, for those that have sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, there, there's no greater gift than a person that can, that can give than laying down their life for another person. And, and we see that through the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life for our sin. And second, and only second to that, is those that would give their life so that we could be free in this country. Not free from sin, but free from persecution, free from tyranny, free from evil. And Lord, we thank you for, for, for those that have willingly counted the cost and laid down their life. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that for their families, uh, especially right now, God, this weekend would, you would give comfort and peace to them and grace to them. And Father, may our country come together united in such a time as this. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the blessed nation that we are uh, a part of. We love you, and we ask that you have your hand upon this service, and we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We've got a lot of the verses on the screen this morning, and uh, we'll kind of roll through those as we're going through the passage. And uh, so let me read the text this morning. I, I, my, if, you, if you're joining us maybe for the first time this morning, uh, we've been working through the book of Colossians for the last several weeks. And uh, it is one of Paul's epistles in the New Testament. 
Uh, it was written to a church that Paul, at least as the, the New Testament uh, canon was, was written, Paul never made it there in the flesh. Maybe he made it after the New Testament was complete. But, but Paul's desire is to, to see these believers at Colossae. He wants to impart a spiritual gift and encouragement to them. Uh, word has gotten back to them about their faith. And so this is a strong church. Uh, this, this letter of Colossians has significant impact for us uh, in, in what we'll call the Laodicean church age, those of us that are living in the last days of Christianity, uh, because the only other time that the word or the city of Laodicea is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 3, and it's mentioned in Colossians. And so when you compare scripture with scripture, Laodicea is the last of seven churches that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And then in chapter 4 and verse 1, the apostle John is caught up uh, in the spirit, a picture of the rapture. And so when you take the Bible and just compare scripture with scripture, anytime you see Laodicea, you need to pay attention because it has to do with the church in the last days. And so this epistle for us has tremendous uh, impact uh, for those of us that literally are living on the brink of what I believe of the rapture of the church. And so uh, my goal this morning, I'll be honest with you, my goal was to finish chapter two. Uh, but as you know, I struggle a little bit with, with closing out a chapter, and so uh, we're going to study three verses today, and, uh, but we'll take all the time that we have to study these three verses together. So if you look at Colossians 2, verses 16 to 19, the Bible says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. And and, and this is kind of a a little bit of a technical passage, uh, but that's okay. We have the Holy Spirit of God and we have a proper way of understanding the Scripture by rightly dividing and comparing Scripture with Scripture. So we're going to talk about this morning the, the subject of legalism. And the, and the message is entitled, It's Time to Let Go of Legalism. It's Time to Let Go of Legalism. And, 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 and I want to segue the, the passage and the points with an illustration. This weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, of course, and, and uh, one of the things that I enjoy personally is watching movies about war and historical accounts, especially of World War II, things like that, you know, the greatest generation. And so this weekend, uh, we rented a movie called Midway, and it has to do with the Battle of Midway in the Pacific, and uh, one of the key battles, really, uh, in, in World War II. A lot of people forget that uh, as, as America was engaged in battle against Hitler uh, and the Nazis, they were also engaged in battle in the Pacific Ocean against Japan. And so and so this movie gives some insight into the, the naval battle that was happening at Midway. And one of the key things about that, that battle was that, that America and its, and its planes were operating off of aircraft carriers. And so as a kid growing up, I had, I had a, a, a grandfather that was a helicopter pilot. Uh, my dad was in the military. So I grew up around the military, uh, certainly supportive, love our military. As a kid, I wanted to be a Navy pilot. Anybody see the movie Top Gun? Okay, all right. And so, you know, Tom Cruise mesmerized me and Goose just like he did everybody else. And so I wanted to fly, you know, 
uh, as a Navy pilot as a kid and never really pursued that. But what's interesting is in the movie, these American pilots, in order to war effectively, they had to be able to launch, uh, they had to master their takeoffs from these aircraft carriers, but they also had to master the landing, right? After you go to battle, you got to come back and you got to land on this aircraft carrier, right? Landing, landing on this floating toothpick, if you will, in the middle of the ocean. And so uh, there's, a, there's a scene in the movie where one pilot is taking off, and the ship is not moving fast enough, and he goes to take off, and he can't get enough speed to get his plane airborne. And sadly, uh, he crashes off the end of the, uh, the aircraft carrier into the ocean, and actually the ship impacts and hits his plane. He didn't have enough power to get up even to get to the battle. And then there are other pilots that came in after the battle, and they were trying to land back on these aircraft carriers. And some of the pilots would land too short of the aircraft carrier, and if you land too short, you crash. But then there were some guys that came in too hot, and they actually flew right over and missed the aircraft carrier. They missed the, the trip wires that caught their plane, and they went over the end. They shot too long, and they also crashed. You say, what does that, what does that have to do with this morning, other than a, maybe a military illustration? Well, as it comes to the Bible, I, I believe, and I think we as a church believe, Everything in God's word is true. And God wants us to, to believe every word. God does not want us to believe less than what the God, word of God says for our life. We don't want to come up short of the runway. But God also doesn't want us to believe more than what the word of God says for our lives. We don't want to overshoot the runway because in either scenario, either scenario we crash and, and, and the truth is, we want to have the power that's available to us through the Word of God to actually get to the battle and to fight the battle that God's called us to, to fight. And so, and so as we get into this portion of text, we're going to deal with this subject of legalism, and it's time to let go of legalism. And, and we want to adhere to what God's Word says, but we don't want to fall short of that nor add to that because it, it ends in us being disengaged from the battle. Does that, does that make sense? And so as we get into Colossians 2, there are four warnings that God gives us in Colossians chapter 2. It's really the chapter of warning to the Christian. The first warning we find in verse 4, let no man beguile you with enticing words. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the word beguile to deceive. And, and one of the ways that even as a Christian, you can be deceived is with enticing words. Words matter. Words mean something. And if you change words, well, the, the meaning changes. And, and, and so listen, it is interesting that the battle in our 21st century culture of Christianity is over words because words matter. Uh, I appreciate what Cody said, you know, praying at, at the beginning that the word of God is, is pure. We can have God's word in our language perfectly preserved today. But, 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 but because... There are people and an enemy, ultimately, that wants to beguile us as Eve was beguiled in the garden. One of the battles that we see today is over words. And we, we studied that in a previous passage, and so I won't re-preach that to you this morning. The second warning out of Colossians 2 is, beware lest any man spoil you. And if you look at verse 8, he, he gives us some things that could possibly spoil us. Now, the word spoil in the Bible doesn't mean spoil like the, the lunch you left at your work uh, like three weeks ago that's still in the refrigerator. 
And that Tupperware dish that you know is in there, but you don't want to open it, you know, you crack the seal on that and everybody in the office hates your guts. Okay, no, that's not what it's talking about. Spoil in the Bible means to steal, to take your stuff. And you can go back to the, the references where uh, some of the, the nation of Israel, they would go into a city and they would spoil it. They would take the goods from that city. God says you better beware because there's a man trying to spoil you, to take from you what's yours, and he's going to do it through philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men, and the rudiments of the world. And those things, by the way, are not after Christ. So that's the second warning. And then we get to where we're talking about today, the third warning, let no man therefore judge you. And everybody said, hallelujah, I'm glad I came to church today because folks been judging me. And so I'm glad you're here. And so, and so we want to take the time to study this and see what it means for us. And God gives us some things that we potentially would be in judgment for and of. And then again, God says in verse 18, beware, uh, let no man beguile you of your reward, verse 18. And so there's four warnings in this chapter, which means, man, red alert. We need to pay attention to the warnings. And so let's get into the text so we can get done today so you can get lunch. Number one, let no man judge you. Let no man judge you. Again, verse 16 says this, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now the key word there is therefore. Let no man therefore, and and therefore means that you have to back up and say, what is that therefore? And the previous passage that we studied last week was that Christ took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and he nailed it to his cross taking it out of the way, openly showing and spoiling the devil and all his friends, okay? Therefore, because God has taken away that Old Testament standard, that law, let no man judge you in meat or drink or respect of holy day. Now listen, uh, our culture of Christianity, sadly, is a culture of judgment, Right? I mean, actually, that's one of the criticisms against the church is that we are judgmental. I don't know if you talk to people outside of, of, of the church, but they have an, 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 an attitude that we're all judgmental people. Uh, and maybe we are. You know, I don't know. I do know this. Once you get in a church, once you get saved and you're a part of a body of Christ, isn't it interesting that, that you experience judgment from other people? Isn't it interesting? That sometimes within the church, within the house of God, it's, it's the place where saved people judge other saved people. And, uh, you know, and I, I, when you look at this passage, you know that, that who is doing the judging is probably those of the Jewish religion. Because all of these five things that are mentioned have everything to do with the Jewish religion, the, the law of Moses and the ceremonies and all those things. And Paul is just writing these Colossians, trying to warn them, don't let anybody judge you according to their religious standard that Christ has dealt with on his cross. And, and, and so listen, in churches, in most churches, it's open season on passing judgment on other Christians. Uh, one author wrote, it's the favorite indoor sport of Christians. And, and sadly, many of us are good at it. The truth is, if you've been, a, if you... Uh, or in the habit of judging others will stick around because it won't be long before you find yourself as a victim 
of being judged by somebody else. And so let's get into this thing of what is it talking about of, of letting no man judge you. There's five different areas where, where God tells us, instructs us not to allow others to judge us. And here are the five areas. Number one, meat. And what we're going to find is that each of these has everything to do with the Old Testament commandments, the Mosaic law. Uh, we're going to see these holy days and drinks. And listen, you know from the Old Testament that the Jewish religion, the, 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 the commandments, the ordinances that they had from God, well, it was pretty spelled out in particular, right? And, and so God says, let no man therefore judge you in meat. Well, meat is used a couple of different ways in the Bible. Sometimes meat refers to grain. And if you go back to Leviticus 2, don't turn there, but there is a thing called a meat offering, which was, it had no meat at all, which is kind of interesting. It was a grain offering, a flour offering that you could offer uh, in, the, in the tabernacle and in the temple. But meat also means meat as in things that you eat, like critters, crispy critters, okay? Uh, so before the flood, man ate herbs. We know that from the Bible. After the flood, man was permitted and allowed to eat meat. The Levitical law spelled out what kind of meat was clean and unclean, right? And so in the Old Testament standard, no bacon. And my daughter is like, oh, I love bacon. And the Old Testament law and standard, no shellfish, no catfish. Some of you old schoolers that like catfish, look, no catfish, all right? I'm just telling you, it doesn't have scales, you can't eat it. And so listen, it, that's all Old Testament ceremonial law, cleanliness according to the law, right? But God nailed that to his cross. So Romans chapter 14, and, and what's interesting is this passage does parallel to Romans 14. We'll get back in our Roman series in a couple of weeks, hopefully, and we'll deal with this if we ever get to Romans 14. But, but look at 14, 1 to 3. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak, and the context is weak in the faith, eateth herbs. Okay. Well, let not him that eateth, the one that's strong in the faith, despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. And, and we know that God has done away with, with those Old Testament requirements in Christ. So you can go have a bacon cheeseburger for lunch. And the Lord is going to be okay with that. You're not going to get closer to God or, or driven further away from God by eating bacon. And if you wanted to get a side of shrimp on the side of that, then praise the Lord. You know, you can do that. However, God does tell us in Romans 14 that there are some people... That, man, they can eat anything because they have enough faith in the Word of God and faith in Christ. There are some people that are weak in their faith, and they would actually judge those that eat anything. And the issue is, the issue is really not what is eaten and what's not eaten. The issue is coming into judgment against each other. As a matter of fact, Romans 14 says, the one that is strong in the faith despises his weaker brother. Isn't that how it works? Isn't that how it works? I mean, really, if you know the Word of God and you have enough faith and you walk in, in liberty and you exercise your liberty and then you look at someone else that doesn't have the faith that you have, generally, don't you look down on them and say, oh, poor baby Christian. But, but can I also show you that the, those that are weak in faith generally are the ones judging 
they're stronger brothers in Christ. And stronger, it's, 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 that's what it says. Let not, him, let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. And, and let me just say this. You know, what's interesting in Christianity is generally when we find ourselves in a position of judgment concerning things like this, many times it shows that we're weak in the faith. We would say that we're spiritual. God says we're weak in the faith. So meat has everything to do with what we consume. Romans 14, verses 17 to 19 says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Spirituality doesn't come from what you eat, what you drink, a certain diet. This kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not physical things, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith we may, wherewith one may edify another. In other words, use your liberty in Christ to build each other up, not tear each other down. That's the point. Skip down to Romans 14, verse 20 and 21. For meat destroy not the work of God. It doesn't destroy it. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So if you don't have enough faith and you need to eat herbs, fine. No problem. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And and my goal this morning is not to go into the individual nuances. Well, what can a Christian eat? What can a Christian drink? What can they not eat? That's not the point. The point this morning is we need to let go of legalism. We need to let go of a fabricated standard that's not God's standard for you today. That's what we need to do. 1 Corinthians 8, by the way, just if you can leave that screen up for just a second, uh, if you want clarity on how to make the right decision, will this cause my brother to stumble? Will this cause my brother to be offended? Will this cause my brother to be made weak? Those are, those are good questions. And if we can answer those questions rightly, God leads us through his Holy Spirit to make the right decisions. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 8, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. And again, the, the context is our spiritual walk with God. Now let's just be honest. If we eat a dozen Dunkin' Donuts, we're probably going to be for the worse. <laughs> we'll be buying pants a lot sooner than we should, okay? And we'll be panting as we walk from the parking lot into the church building. But as it relates to your walk with the Lord... It doesn't make you more spiritual or less spiritual. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't commend you to God. It doesn't make you the better or the worse. And, and by the way, the context of 1 Corinthians 8 is meat offered to idols. And, and so that ought to give you a little bit of background. And so, and so listen, God warns us we need not to, to let other people judge us in meat. Second thing is drink. Okay? Drink is the second category. And again, the goal this morning is not to expound, man, what can we drink? That's not even the point. The point is judging each other. That's the point. Now listen, when you study Leviticus, there was such a thing as a drink offering. And the Bible tells us in Leviticus 23 and verse 13 that that drink offering was of wine, and it even tells you the measure, a fourth part of a hen, H-I-N, not H-E-N, like a chicken, okay? And so there was a drink offering in the Old Testament What's interesting is that there was also clarification for for Aaron and for his sons that you guys shouldn't drink. 
Okay, so, so Leviticus 10, verses 8 to 10 says this, The Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou, nor thy sons with thee. And it even gives you a time stamp. When you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may put, dif- uh, put difference between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. And so listen, there's no shortage of debate on this issue in the 21st century church. And I'm not going there this morning because that's not the point of the message. The point of the message is, yeah, you've got some Old Testament standards that applied to a certain group of people at a certain time. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 says, Wherefore, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Yeah, but Jay, answer the question. Now, you, you don't understand. You're asking the wrong question. <laughs> You're asking the wrong question. The, the issue is, do we judge each other's spirituality by what goes in our mouth? I think Jesus said anything that goes in your mouth doesn't defile you, but actually what comes out of your mouth is what defiles us. And we forget that part, right? And, and we exercise judgment against each other. And that's not what God intends. Number three, the new moon. The, the new moon. And so again, uh, there is a strong tie to the nation of Israel. The new moon, God tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God put the moon and the sun in the heaven, in the second heaven, and th- that moon and that sun are for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And, and so the moon has some significance. Uh, it certainly has significance to the nation of Israel being on a lunar calendar. We talk about those things sometimes in prophecy, in Second Corinthians, excuse me, Second Chronicles chapter two and verse four, the Bible says, "Behold, I will build a house to the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to Him." This is the temple, and burn before Him sweet incense for the continual showbread and for the burnt offering morning and evening on the Sabbaths and on the new moons and on the solemn feast of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to who? To Israel. And so listen, there is a strong connection to new moons and feasts and timing and all those different things to the nation of Israel. There there is some legitimately strong things that you can learn from the Bible. And yet, and yet, God says that we're not to judge each other in those things. So so if you find yourself fascinated with some of those things and, and personally think that, man, there's a connection here for me that I can learn from and glean from, fine. But it's not a standard for the body of Christ. It's not a standard for the church. As a matter of fact, God got really sick when they were hypocritical in their religious practices of all these different things because their heart wasn't in it. Isaiah 1 and verse 14, God says to Israel, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary (laughs) to bear them. In other words, God's not really interested in just religious exercise of external things. He wants your heart. Number four, the the, the fourth category is this holy day. And Israel, listen again, had many holy days. Uh, You got the Passover. You got the, the, the Feast of Pentecost. You got the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen, there were so many different days. And when you start piecing that together, uh, it's a really cool study. But it was like they were having a feast or a holy day all the time. I mean, it was like always something that was holy and set apart 
because of their relationship with God. Well, listen, in the New Testament, Romans 14, verses 5 to 6, there, there is, you know, what is the holy day today? Well, Sunday's the holy day. Well, the Sabbath is the holy day. By the way, we'll get to the Sabbath in just a second. Listen, Romans 14, verses 5 to 9, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, he regardeth unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord doth he not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth thanks to God. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. The point is, we can't judge each other on a certain day of the week that's more holy than than the other. They're all holy. They're all the Lord's. They're all His. So we can settle it there. And And then lastly, Sabbaths. And this one comes into play because there are people in our culture of Christianity that still adhere to the Sabbath, right? They, they still try to adhere to the Old Testament standard of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was always the seventh day. It is always the seventh day, Exodus 16 and verse 26. Six days shall you gather on it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. There shall be no gathering. Exodus 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. We should still keep the Sabbath. Well, okay. Uh, That was for a particular group of people. A nation called the nation of Israel. Exodus 31 and verse 16. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. It's very clear. To observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. So what's my point? My point is, if we're not careful, we'll judge each other based on things that aren't directly written to us, and we'll assume in our mind that somehow spirituality is spelled out in what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, the length of the beard, tie or not. I wore a tie today on purpose. I will not wear one next week. (laughs) I mean, listen. If we're not careful, we'll judge each other based on a standard that's not applicable to us because of what Christ has done. And and, and the issue is not what we can and can't do. The issue is, are we critical of each other and judge each other based on a standard that Christ doesn't have for us? That's the point. If you're going to use Leviticus to justify not drinking, you might as well use it for not eating fish. And, you know, also you better never wear like cotton and wool together. You know, there's a lot of things that you better use that for if you're going to adhere to that standard. So God says that these things are a shadow of things to come. And I'm going to kind of move forward quickly because I'm, I'm running out of time. But, but the, those five things, meat, drink, new moon, holy day, Sabbaths, Paul says those are a shadow of things to come. Now listen, each of those things has significance because each of those things do point to Christ in some way or manner. But I'm telling you that God says to a New Testament church that all those Old Testament things are a shadow of something that's going to happen in the future. In other words, they weren't all necessarily fulfilled in Christ. Christ has already came when Paul's writing this. The church is the church. Christ is at the right hand of God. And Paul is saying presently these things are a shadow of things to come, not They were a shadow fulfilled in Christ. Does that make sense? Certainly, they point to Christ. But there's another application that will be fulfilled 
in the future, and I don't have time, but if you'll just jot down maybe Ezekiel 40 and verses, uh, chapter 40 through 48. In Ezekiel, you get a, a snapshot, if you will, of the millennial temple. And, and you see a snapshot, a snapshot of the future priesthood and the future temple and the future worship that's going to be happening on this earth as the Lord rules and reigns from his throne in Jerusalem. Those things were a shadow. As a matter of fact, you see in Ezekiel, Exodus is another good book that starts with E, but I wanted Ezekiel. Ezekiel 45 and verse 17, this is part of that prophecy. It says, it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings and meat offerings and drink offerings in the feasts and in the new moons and in the in the Sabbaths. These are all the things that we just talked about. In all solemnities of the house of Israel, he shall prepare the sin offering and the meat offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings to make reconciliation for the house of Israel. Even after the new heaven and the new earth, can I tell you there's going to be Sabbaths, which is Isaiah 66. Verse 22 says that there's a new heaven and a new earth. And then in verse 23, it says it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come worship before me. Those things in that Old Testament applied directly to a group of people, the nation of Israel. And now Christ, through his cross, has nailed those ordinances to it. But I'm telling you, they're coming back because they foreshadow something in the future. That's why you need to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. God tells us in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 that we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So all scripture is for you, but not all scripture is directly to you. And there are some people that hate that statement. And the reality is, they are some of the most judgmental, (laughs) beguiling people on this planet. And many times in churches. All scripture is for you, but not all scripture is directly to you. So don't judge one another by reading somebody else's email. And that's the point. Let no man judge you. Number two, how we doing? We good? Number two, let no man beguile you. Let no man beguile you. Now, I know I got through talking about meat and drink, and all of you are hungry, and let's go to lunch, right? you got to give me like 15 more minutes, and we're done. Let no man beguile you. So verse 18 says, let no man beguile you of your reward. In a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So there is a danger that someone could take from you your reward. And God's telling us, don't let somebody do that to you. How would they do that to you? They would do that to you through, through mysticism, through someone who is not really a legitimate teacher or preacher. And let me just unpack this passage, because there are people that by intuition or insight think they have a higher spiritual understanding than you do, that they have some kind of spiritual experience that makes them authoritative, even more authoritative than the Word of God in your life. They have a voluntary humility. In other words, they're willing to subject themselves to sacramental rules and regulations To make themselves appear more holy than you. You ever been around anybody like that? They're more holy than you because they've checked off more boxes than you. 
And because of that, they can now walk with God and hear God better than you. False teachers take on the appearance of being humble, even to legalistic standards. Man, some of the nastiest people in Christianity are legalistic, voluntary, humble people. They're nasty. They're wicked. They're false teachers. They are carnal, according to their fleshly mind. And somehow, some way, justified their behavior as excelling them above you in a walk with God. The worshiping of angels. Listen, by the way, that voluntary humility, God says that you'll lose your reward based on that. You'll lose your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. You better make sure your motives are right serving the Lord, walking with the Lord, because you can lose your reward. Number two, this worshiping of angels will cause you to lose your reward. Now listen, when you study, you say, how would anybody actually worship an angel? I mean, everybody knows better than that. Well, can I tell you that the greatest apostle, John, the friend of Jesus Christ, two times in the book of Revelation, actually bowed down and worshiped an angel? And that angel said to him, hey, no, 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 see you do it not, (laughs) right? Uh, Revelation 19, Revelation 22, the Bible says that that John fell at his feet to worship him. He's in, 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 in dialogue with an angel. And he, this angel said to me, see thou do it not. You see it again in Revelation chapter 22. And so, uh, by the way, if John could do it, you probably could too. You better be careful. So what is this worshiping of angels about? Well, listen, I know that the devil himself, Satan, can transform himself into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. The Bible says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know, there's a lot of religious people in our culture and world. And if any of them receive worship from man, they're probably a false prophet. They're probably a false, false teacher. You got one in the Vatican right now that receives the worship of men. You hear me? And you got plenty of other people that, that maybe aren't of that particular brand of religion that have no problem receiving the worship of men. And I'm telling you, man, you better be careful because you'll lose your reward if you're not careful. Number three, intruding into those things which he has not seen. Again, these biblical, or uh, these false prophets, these people that want to beguile you out of your reward, they root themselves in extra biblical revelations, visions, dreams, feelings, impressions, and none of those things are authoritative today. You don't have to have a feeling to know what God says. You can read it. It's in black and white. It's in black and white. You don't have to have an impression. You don't have to have a vision, a dream. As a matter of fact, if anyone ever comes to me and says, God told me, the very next words out of their mouth better be book, chapter, and verse. Or God probably didn't tell you. Because God speaks through his word. He relegates his authority through his word. And, And there are people... Well, that intrude into things that they have not seen. Ezekiel 12 and verse, yeah, Ezekiel 13 and verse 3. Thus saith the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. 
woe to them. And then ultimately, God says that these people are vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. They're carnal. They're somehow superior because of their experience, because of their voluntary humility, because of their worshiping of angels. They're somehow superior because of their experience, not to, not limited to, but including seminary. And the Bible says that they are vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. Romans 8 and verse 7 says the carnal mind is enmity against God. The fleshly mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So here's the key. Look, all of these things that will beguile you of your reward, all these people, they elevate self above Christ. They elevate self above Christ. And when you see that happening, run. (laughs) Do you understand? Run, because there's a potential to lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And we don't have time to, to lay out all the verses. The Bible does tell us in Revelation 3 and verse 11, speaking of the Philadelphian church, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. The Lord himself is speaking to a church and says, listen, hold God's word, hold the ministry, don't let anybody take your crown. No man. Second John verse 8 says this, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought but that we receive a full reward. Do you know it, it is possible to have treasure laid up at the judgment seat of Christ and to lose it? Do you realize that? Not lose your salvation, but listen, to beguile you of your reward at the judgment seat of Christ by, by being deceived and beguiled by false teachers and false prophets. Be careful. Man, be careful. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful how you administer wisdom from God's word to other people. Make sure it's from God's word. Does that make sense? Not based on your feeling or experience or visions or dreams or impressions or your horoscope that you read in the newspaper this week. Listen, don't table all of that junk because it's not from God. It's got to be book, chapter, and verse. Okay, and then lastly, let's get done so we can get out of here. Look, the last point. All of those things were for a group of people that we talked about. And so lastly, we want to learn to rejoice in the body because, because we're trying to learn this morning, we need to let legalism go. We need to let it go. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is we rejoice in the body of Christ. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. That's, that's those five things that we studied. But the body is of Christ. And, and verse 19, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. Here's here's the point. Look, there is a clear distinction between all of those things that we studied that dealt with Israel, meat, drink, holy day, new moons, Sabbaths. There's a clear distinction between that and the body of Christ. But the body is of Christ. So it's a totally different audience. It's a totally different group of people. The body of Christ is not meat. It's not drink. It's not of holy days, Sabbaths, and new moons. None of those things can put you in Christ. And none of those things can keep you in Christ. And that's a good spot for an amen online crowd. I'm telling you, 
None of them can put you in Christ, and none of them can keep you in Christ. The body is of Christ. And so two keys real quick. Number one, the head of the body is Christ. And listen, the way you get into the body is by a new birth. You get in there by a new birth. You don't join a church. You don't observe the Sabbath. You don't forsake catfish. You don't wear linen all the time. You get in it by a new birth. And then listen, you become part of Christ's body. He is the head of the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body, and it's one body. It's one body. Colossians 1 and verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so listen, the head of the body is Christ, which means, secondly, the health of the body is from Christ. Because we have a good head, (laughs) Christ is perfect. He has the preeminence. Because he is the head and because we're not, listen, the health of the body of Christ is from Christ. We receive from him nourishment and strength and the capacity to love each other, not judge each other, and beat down each other and criticize each other. We have the health that we need from Christ. Ephesians 4 verses 15 to 16 says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Next two words are really important. From whom? From Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's a great passage. I need about an hour to to break that down. We don't have it. The point is, because Christ is our head, we have a perfectly joined body. You know, the body of Christ is not perfect because you're in it. No offense. (laughs) And the body of Christ is certainly not perfect because I'm in it. The body of Christ is perfect because Christ is the head. And because he's the head... And we're all the the parts and pieces that that make up the rest of it. It's him that makes every joint compactly fit together. It's him that makes sure the whole body gets the nourishment that that it needs. It's him that knits us together in love. See, the, the church ought not to be legalistic. The church ought to be focused on love. We're to love one another, being knit together in love, and we ought to be increasing. Listen, God's, God's church increases, it grows, it, it increases in the grace and knowledge of God, it grows numerically, it grows spiritually. The reason it increases is not because of us, it, it increases because of Him. It increases because of Him. Listen, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 to 7, real quick. I don't even have these on the screen, I don't think. I messed up Derek in the back. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Through seven, the Bible says, I have planted Apollos watered. This is Paul talking. I planted Apollos watered. Who gave the increase? God gave the increase. And we just did what we were gifted to do, and God increased the body. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I'm thankful. Can I just tell you as your pastor, I'm thankful that ministry success doesn't depend on me. Because we'd be in trouble. And if we are in trouble, it's my fault. I've already learned that around here. Uh, That works in my home. It works at church too. Okay, if things aren't working right, it's my fault. 
But the point is that God, because he is a perfect head and he's the head of the body, he's the one that causes us to increase. He's the one that causes us to grow. He's the, he's the one that causes us to be knit together in love. And I'm thankful for that. And so in conclusion, here's the questions. You know, the Bible says, let no man judge you. Let no man judge you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to two different groups of people. Number one, maybe you've been on the receiving end of judgment in meat and in drink and in holy day and in new moons and in Sabbaths. Well, you don't have to let that happen. You can actually have a biblical standard that you live your life according to. Does that, does that make sense? You don't have to let that happen. You, you want to be the airplane that has enough power to get off the runway and get to the fight. Does that make sense? You want to have enough strength and power in the Lord so that you're not living a powerless Christianity. You want to, you want to get to the battle. And there's some, some things that you ought not to let happen in your life. And let me encourage you to be mature enough in the Lord to handle that. The second question is, are you the man judging are you guilty of judging, judging others? Now listen, every one of us sort of raise our hand right there. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty. Are we guilty of judging others? Are we guilty of beguiling other people of their reward? You know, we, sometimes we overshoot the runway. We take what God's standard is, and we just like to add a little bit to it of our own interpretation, our own belief according to the Scriptures. And man, listen, we'll overshoot that runway and we'll crash and burn. And we'll still be ineffective for the battle. Some of us come up short of the runway because we don't have any standard at all. We just are saved and live life the way we think we should live it. We have no standard. So you have, you have kind of the two camps. The legalist and those loose in their faith with no standard. You can still come up short of that runway. God has some principles for us to live by. The point is, let's let go of legalism. Amen? Let's let go of it. Let's go back to the book. Let's, let's live the way God's Word tells us to live. And let's love each other for the cause of Christ. Let's get engaged in the battle because we have a lot of work to do. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's pray and then we'll dismiss. Father, we, we thank you for the morning, God. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that, that on the cross of Calvary, God, you nailed those handwriting ordinances that were contrary to us to your cross. Thank you that we have liberty. Thank you so much that we have freedom in Christ. God, thank you that we can learn that those things certainly have an application to a group of people in the Old Testament. They have an application prophetically in the future. But right now, we are the church. We are the, the body of Christ. And we're to live in, in liberty, live in love toward each other so that we can accomplish the mission. Help us to be unified together as a church family, to see made, disciples made of all nations. God, we love you. We ask it all. In Christ Jesus' name, I want to thank those that have tuned in for the live stream today. God bless you guys very, very much. Turn in a prayer request for us. Let us know that you're here and uh, watching, and we love you in the Lord, and God bless you. Have a great week.